Okay, Psalm 2, starting at verse 7. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Okay, our second reading is Isaiah chapter 42, starting at verse 1, going through to verse 4. And that can be found on page 588 of the Blue Church Bibles. Okay, so starting at verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout out, shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. And then the third reading that we have is Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 13. And in the Blue Bibles, that can be found on page 784. Okay, starting at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Winter's day In a deep and dark December I am alone Gazing from my window To the streets below On a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow I am a rock Friendship causes pain It's laughter and it's loving I disdain I am all right Yes, I heard you sing along Here's a quiz for you Have I turned myself on again? No, I've t- that, that's better Here's a quiz for you Last lines Do you know them? A rock feels no pain and an island never cries. Now, do you believe them? 
Paul Simon, Art Garfunkel, I am a rock, I am an island, I have no need of friendship, friendship causes pain, it's laughter and it's loving, I disdain. If you go on, hiding in my room, safe within my womb, I touch no one and no one touches me. I think if you listen to the song carefully, you actually see that they are craving relationship. As they push it away, they are actually longing for relationships. And I think that is all of us. All of us long for relationship, don't we? Even the introverts, even those of us who love going away and squirreling ourselves away with our books and our computer games and whatever else we do, every now and then we need to connect with someone, don't we? We need to be known. We need to be accepted. We need to be delighted over to be cherished, to be loved, to belong. C.S. Lewis wrote a great little uh, article called The Inner Ring. I've used it before. And he talks about this longing for relationship. He says this desire is one of the great permanent mainsprings of human action. Lewis is saying this is one of the main drivers of the things that we actually do. And think about it. What have you done so that you might fit in? What have you done so that you might belong? Some horrendous fashion statement that everyone else was doing and you've gone along with it. Maybe you've cut your hair so you look like those middle-aged people and you fit in with them. Right. When I came across from the eastern states, I tried hard to speak of holidays in France and dancing. And here at Trinity Hills, we are a church plant where across in the eastern states, we danced in France and we church planted. We did all that. I changed so I would belong so that you would accept me so that I would feel loved by you. What have you done? Lewis says that some not yet bad people have done all kinds of bad things out of this desire. This desire to fit in. This desire to be loved. Lewis also warns at the end of his article that the quest for the inner ring, that's what he described these relationships as, will break your heart unless you break it. We want to fit in, don't we? We want to belong. We want to touch someone. We don't want to be the Simon and Garfunkel up in their room with their poetry. I touch no one. No one touches me. We want to connect. So we have our little mobile phones and every time they buzz in our pockets, we get excited, don't we? That little rush of dopamine. Yes, we are actually wired to be addicted to this connectivity. We post on Facebook and we long for those likes, don't we? How many friends have we got? How many likes have we got? How many posts are you making? We want to belong. When you see a relationship, when you see a couple or a family or a group of friends, if you're anything like me, there's a part of you that not only appreciates what you've got, but longs to have a bit of that as well. I want what they've got. 
that desire, as Lewis said, to be inside that inner ring. But Lewis warned us, didn't he? He said, if you don't break it, it will break you. So what's the answer? Is it Simon and Garfunkel? Is it to withdraw, to reject, even if that was possible? Or is there a different answer? Notice I said answer and not answer. I want to be loved. Today's passage gives us a glimpse inside the ultimate relationship, inside the relationship that makes the world's relationships go around. And in that, we get a glimpse and a clue for how that inner ring might actually be broken, that desire. We've been walking, working through Matthew's Gospel, and we're up to chapter 3. There's only 28 chapters in Matthew's Gospel, so we're going to be going, I estimate, for about the next five years. Um, not solidly, but we will be continuing through Matthew's Gospel from beginning to end. Where are we up to? Well, chapter 3 is the start of the action. We've had chapters 1 and 2, and they've been a little bit like, you know those opening prologues in The Lord of the Rings, where you get sort of Kate Blanchett's sort of mysterious Galadriel voice giving you this backstory. Chapters 1 and 2 in Matthew's Gospel are like that. They give us the backstory that helps us understand what is going to happen from here. So we've had Jesus' genealogy where we've seen that God's plan of redemption is unfolding and Jesus is its fulfillment. We've had the virgin birth where Jesus is declared to be God with us, the one who will save his people from their sins. We've had the Magi come in from the east and worship the king and ignore his rival, Herod, who then has a bit of hissy fit and warned in a dream, Joseph and his family flee to Egypt and Herod massacres the children of Bethlehem, trying to wipe out a rival. Matthew's telling us, this is the king, this is the fulfillment of God's promises, this is the one who will bring blessing to all the nations. And then last week, we met this fellow, this hairy, camel-clothed, leather-clad, locust and honey-eating John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, uh, and this guy's out in the wilderness, and he's getting Israel ready for the king. This is 30 years, roughly, after the events of Matthew 2. And he's preaching a a message of repentance, calling people to baptism. Get ready, the king is coming. And then in the passage that Debbie read for us today, the king turns up. And a brief summary. Here's a bit of argy-bargy with John. John says no, Jesus says yes. Jesus then is baptised. We then have heaven opened and we get a glimpse inside the ultimate relationship. We get a glimpse inside what Christians have referred to as the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is a simple doctrine, isn't it? We all understand it really, really clearly. Well, you do and you don't. It's something we wrestle with, but it is the Bible's testimony that we have one God 
who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the doctrine of the Trinity. We worship one God in three persons. We don't worship one God with three different parts, like, um, you know, the top bit is Jesus, and the middle bit is the Holy Spirit, and the legs are God the Father. We don't worship a God who changes role. We don't worship a God who was the Father, and then he gets born and becomes the Son, and then goes back to heaven and turns into the Spirit. That's not Christianity. We don't worship three gods who just enjoy hanging out together. The Bible is clear that there is one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Christians have wrestled with this. How do we speak of this? And one of the ways Christians have solved that issue of speaking about it is creeds. And we use creeds, don't we? We use the Apostles' Creed. We often use some other bits and pieces. One that I am yet to inflict upon you, because I don't really think we have a spare 15 minutes, is one called the Athanasian Creed. Has anyone ever been in a church that has said the Athanasian Creed? Andrew, I have as well. The Athanasian Creed goes for pages. I've given you just a few lines. The Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity, Trinity in unity, neither confounding the person, so we don't mix them up, nor dividing the substance, so we don't make them so distinct that they're three different. We worship one God in Trinity. How does this work? What binds the Trinity together, the three persons of the Trinity? What binds them together? Well, the Bible tells us that what binds the Trinity together is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. God is love. God is love. Now, how does that work? No one would say Cameron is love because you'd say Cameron is loving or lovable because I use my South Australian accent and you all love that. But to actually say a singular person is love, how does, that, how does that work? It works because God is Trinity. That the relationship between the Father, the Son and the Spirit is one of mutually self-giving love. Each one thinks everything is all about the others. They give themselves to the others in love. And you see this play out in Scripture. It's a dynamic relationship. The early church fathers talked about it like a dance. Or sorry, a, a dance. Um, this dynamic interaction where the Father and the Son and the Spirit were so loving towards each other that they bind themselves up and build themselves up in love. Lewis again, from mere Christianity. In Christianity, God is not a static thing. He's not one to the exclusion of the three, but a dynamic pulsing activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. This dance of love. For the Father, it is all about the Son and the Spirit. For the Spirit is all about the Son and the Father. For the Son, it's about the Father and the Spirit. They are totally loving to one another. And at this baptism of Jesus, we see a glimpse 
into that, we see what drives that relationship. Now, I want you to think about what drives your relationships. What, what do you truly love? Have you come across something that truly grabs you heart and soul? For me, I love my wife. I love my kids. But there are other things as well that I love. There's a couple of pieces of music that just really get me. One classical, Albioni's Adagio, if you're familiar with that, play it at my funeral, you'll all be bawling. You'll be bawling. It is magnificent. And to put alongside that, and maybe even higher, Pink Floyd, Shine On You Crazy Diamond, must be up there as well. Both capture me at a deeper level and I listen to them not because I'm trying to dissect the musicality, not because I'm trying to study it, but I just delight in it. That is love. The father doesn't love the son because the son makes him feel good. The spirit doesn't delight in the father because, you know, yeah, it, it pays off. They just love. And that is what drives the Trinity. And it's what drives or should drive us. We see this glimpse into this perfect relationship, this relationship that is eternally self-sufficient. Think about it. God didn't need to create. He wasn't lonely. The Trinity tells us that Father, Son and Spirit were in perfect relationship. They didn't need us, but love overflowed and God created. He didn't need to redeem us. But the Father, Son and Spirit, the love they have for one another overflows to include others. True love overflows. I think true love in human relationships overflows. The best marriages actually strengthen the partners in the marriage to love others outside of that relationship and bring them in. The best friendships don't shut others out. They include others in. And as the Father, Son and Spirit model us, we see that where that comes from. Our relationness, if that's a word, it comes from God and his relations. Here we see the son coming for baptism, the spirit descending, and the father delighting. And these are the words. This is my son, whom I love. Literally, this is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Do you feel about someone like that? This is my son, this is my daughter, this is my friend, this is my wife, my husband, whom I love. Do we crave to hear those words for another? Lewis tells us that as we, as we long to hear those words or words like them, those words of inclusion and affirmation and love and belonging, that drives us in relationship. And here we have the father and the spirit delighting and empowering and descending upon the son.
Let's go back to the baptism. John doesn't want to baptize Jesus. Let me give you three reasons why I think John doesn't want to baptize Jesus. Jesus has come to him, but John is preaching a baptism of repentance. Now, what does Jesus need to repent of? Nothing. He's like, this is not the baptism for you, Jesus. Plus, secondly, who's more powerful? John has told us just before this passage that Jesus is so powerful, so majestic, that he, John, is not worthy to carry Jesus' dirty shoes. So if someone's going to baptise anyone here, Jesus, you're going to baptise John. And then thirdly, there's, there's a clash of baptisms, isn't there? John baptises with water, just a, a get-ready baptism. What does Jesus baptise with? The Holy Spirit and fire. Which baptism rocks? That baptism, I want that one. And so John's like, no, 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 you baptise me. But no, Jesus insists. So why does Jesus get baptised? He doesn't need to get baptised. Why does he do it? The reason he does it is to say, I'm with these guys. And he does it on two levels. He's saying, I'm with Israel because Israel is being baptized by John and Jesus is identifying not just with them, but as them. Did you ever wonder why the spirit came down as a dove? Some people go, oh, peace. Well, no, probably not. Some people, Hebrew scholars amongst us, go back and they say, the spirit of God in Genesis 1 verse 2 fluttered over the face of the deep and maybe that's the creep. Well, maybe. But in the Old Testament, on a number of occasions, Israel is a dove. Psalm 74 verse 19. Do not hand over the life of your dove to wild beasts. Do not forget the lives of your afflicted people forever. The afflicted people, Israel, are the dove. The Spirit is identifying Jesus as the true Israelite, the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Israel. But there's a greater level as Jesus identifies not just with Israel, but with every sinner. This is a baptism of repentance for sin. And he's saying, I am standing with all of you. Now, do we get that? Do we actually realize what an amazing thing that is? We sung that song. I stand amazed. Amazed. Sometimes I wrestle with songs and I actually think, do I, do I stand amazed? You know, are we amazed that Jesus the second person of the Trinity, would stand with us. When I was hiking at the end of last year, I made the mistake at the time when the Australian cricket team was being annihilated by the South Africans, we had yet to win the third test, of wearing my Cricket Australia cap as I was walking through the Tasmanian wilderness. 
And a South African man came up to me and it made great fun of the cap that I was wearing because I was identifying with a bunch of losers. Kind of like every New Zealander here, you know. <laughs> no, whatever. <laughs> Notice, Simon, I didn't pick on you this time. I had a good stab at the palms, but uh, we actually think, I think, deep down, we're actually not that bad. And so we miss the wonder of the love of the Trinity overflowing as the Son of God is incarnate with us. We just go, yeah, okay, Jesus. Who'd want to hang out with the New Zealanders? Like, for goodness sake. Terrible people, all of them. No, no, that was a joke. That was a joke. But realistically, for us, we are the ones who in Acts 3, the apostles say, you killed the author of life. We're not nice and cuddly, pro-God kind of people. Unforgiven, we are the kind of people who kill the second person of the Trinity. Do we miss the wonder that God, knowing that, ordaining that, predetermining that, chooses to become one of us? Do we see love overflowing? But there's more. Because as Jesus stands with us, he stands for us. It's not just that he's with us in our pain. He is. He's not just with us in our suffering. He is. But there's more. What we see in the Trinity is we see this eternal relationship of Father, Son and Spirit. And in the cross event, it is cracked wide open. Why do I say that? Well, it's hinted at there in those words that the Father declares over the Son. He quotes two Old Testament passages. Debbie read them both for us. Psalm 2. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. This is a psalm to the kings of Israel. It goes on and talks about them ruling the nations with a rod of iron. The king has come. John proclaimed him. The kingdom of heaven is drawn near. Psalm 2 verse 7, a psalm of kingship. But Isaiah 42 verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. This is the second half. The father has done a mashup of Psalm and Isaiah 42. He's brought those two images together and he's telling us that the king is the servant and the servant is the king. The servant despised and rejected suffering and dying for the sins of God's people. The king ruling and majestic. They are one and the same. And this one This one stands with us. This one stands for us. And we don't just see him rejected by us. Do you remember Jesus' words on the cross? 
What does he cry out to his father? Why have you forsaken me? Has the father ever forsaken the son? Up until that moment and from that moment on, never. A relationship of love, of delight. A relationship so positive that we could not comprehend it. The son cries out, forsaken. Delight is replaced with judgment, affirmation with condemnation. Why? Because Christ bore our sin. The Trinity was cracked open. Christ was cast out so that we might be welcomed in. So that through the work of the cross, we might speak of his father as our father. And we might speak of the Lord Jesus as our brother. And the spirit might come and bring the father and the son and make their home and dwell within us. So that we might be the ones in whom the father delights. No merit of our own. Nothing in our hands we bring. Nothing except to the cross we cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. That is us. But grace flows out in abundance. Love embraces us. Jesus is cast out so that we might be brought in. We might find our welcome home. To be known. And God knows us to our depths and loves us. To belong. To be cherished. Not to be just merely forgiven and then kind of pushed aside, but to be delighted in as a child of God. To be loved, to be accepted, never to be turned away. Never to be turned away. To call out to the Father and never be forsaken. To be set free. To set free from the craving of all the affirmation that we seek in the world. Because we have affirmation from the one whose opinion truly counts. We belong in the family, the eternal inner ring. There is no greater security. And so as we live that relationship, it sets us free in the here and the now. It's not just a when I'm in heaven. But we live now. We live now as beloved children. Set free. Able to overflow in love for others. Not seeking their love and affirmation in return. But we have it in an eternal wellspring from the Father. From the Son. From the Spirit. Able to serve as he served. Able to love as he loved. Because he himself was cast out 
so that we might be brought in. Brothers and sisters, are we amazed that this one, this beloved son, would stand with us, would stand for us. This king who is a servant and this servant who is a king, he is our brother and his father is our father and his spirit lives within us and we are home. Let's pray. Loving Father, we deserve nothing but your condemnation. But in Christ, we hear nothing but your affirmation. Lord, there is no accusation that stands because Christ, Christ has drunk judgment dry. There is no possible way that you would turn us away. Because Christ was turned away so that we might be welcomed in. Father, I pray that you would amaze us with your love. That we would see here in this river in a faraway country, in this act of baptism, the signs of an incredible grace that would overflow and bless us and bring your blessing to the nations. Amaze us with your love and help us to live each day empowered and motivated, overflowing with the energy that comes from seeing your grace and your truth and your beauty. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.